Wow, so much love in this room. I appreciate it. I appreciate this church. I appreciate the leadership. I appreciate the relationships that uh, my family and I have enjoyed over the years. It is kind of awkward, understandably, because some of you don't know me, but that's okay. We'll get to know each other now. Um, And those of you, I'm kind of reconnecting. I had to ask a couple of you, like, oh, I remember your face, but what's your name? And awkward, but that's okay. In Christian love, we are here together, and we're going to look at this passage um, and I, I'm kind of person, I don't know if I'm ADD or, or what, but I kind of want to go all over the place, but I will not do that. I will stay in one place. Um, and I say that because, um, I can be a nosy person and I refrain from that. And so, you know, first Thessalonians, second Thessalonians, they're, they're letters. And so when you have letters, typically, you know, if they don't have your name on them, you want to you know, get into it. So you might want to see. And I have one from when we used to live in Nanaimo, this young lady. I won't say her name. She's not here, but I don't think. But I'm tempted to open it and see what's in there. But that's not legal, right? I know it's not legal in the States. Is it legal here? No. Okay. I won't do it. But I don't know where she's at. So I don't know how to get her mail to her. But the interesting thing is that we are able to do that with Scripture. God has given us these letters and we were able to open them up. He says, okay, I want you to read and see what the content is and see what I want to say to you. And so that's what, we're, what you get to do as you continue with First and Second Thessalonians. The second thing, I like TV shows where they have a story and they get into it and you think this is a story. And then they have a flashback, right? They go back and say, what was happening with this character or these characters? What was the situation that brought them to where they're at right now? Like Travis said, that's what we're doing in Acts 17. Where does Thessalonica, has it come into the grid of Scripture, into this story that we are all in this story, by the way. This is this story that started 2,000 years ago. We're in this story, too. We continue to live it. Which brings me to the third thing I want to say to you. I believe that God has plans for this church, for this congregation, for you. That God has purpose. If you don't know this already, maybe you already know this and you're saying, oh, duh, I know this already, Derek. But if you don't, I believe that God has purpose. He has intention for you. Now, I have to say this, even though for some it's obvious, sometimes we just coast in life, maybe in our jobs, in our relationships, and things we like to do. And sometimes also in our Christian life, we just coast. We're just comfortable being here. I'm saved, right? I'm in Christ. But God, it's more than that. God has intention and purpose for you. So if you don't understand that or know that already, I want you to hear that now. And I hope that from this story that you can see that, that you are a part of this story. There's elements of this story that, that you are a part of. And God wants you to be a part of it also. God has a sense of humor. Um, I believe I was telling Travis this. Or somebody this. I've, I tell Travis lots of things. By the way, the, uh, the mic didn't come in that matches my skin, but we're, we're working on that. He said it, it didn't come in. You know. It doesn't match your skin either. Oh, okay. So yours hasn't come in yet. <laughs> Sorry, I just get distracted. God has a sense of humor, as, as do I. But my sense, the sense of humor that I see that God has is that when I was a youngster, I got away. I stayed away from writing, and I stayed away from speaking. If there was something to report, something to give, I would be sick. I would be gone. 
right, you get the sense of humor. I did it through elementary school, junior high school, high school, uh, college at York the first time, and now I'm at Harding, and writing is a huge deal. And within my ministry and Bible program, you got to be up in front of people. And through ministry over the past 20 years, you got to be up in front of people. you got to speak to people. And so I never thought that we would be doing this. Um, so not to give you all of our story, but I grew up as an as a elder's kid. My wife grew up as an elder's, or a preacher's kid, sorry. And we met each other at York. We got on board with ministry through the influence of her family. And through, the, through years of hard knocks and learning, we found ourselves uh, two years ago moving from Nanaimo to, uh, to take courses in, in Harding, at Harding University in a Bible and ministry program. And we are looking to return to the island to plant churches. And so, yes, Holy Spirit thing. Um, we hope that Travis uh, said, hey, Derek, this is going to be your passage when you come. Because I'm looking at this, and it's a bit scary. It's like, oh, my goodness, this looks like us, possibly, as far as, like, what could happen. I hope I'm not, there's not a mob. I hope I'm not kicked out of the city. You know, I hope that people we, we teach don't have to, you know, post bail, or, uh, put up money. Um, but, yeah, that's a lot of drama. So let's go to the beginning. Doing this takes risk. And I'm not talking about like, like church planting in particular, but being a Christian, following Jesus requires risk. It requires of, of all of us. Um, just to take a, a little bit of a word from the Lord, from our Lord's words. He said in Matthew 10, verse 34, I do not... Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A person's enemies will be those of his own household. That doesn't sound fun, but he continues. Whoever loves his father, loves father or mother more than me, is not worthy of me. And whoever loves his son, loves son or daughter more than me, is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. But here's some encouragement. Whoever, well, some, half. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Meaning, whoever takes on the life here and this life on this earth is so important to them, they'll end up losing their life, the true life that he offers. He says, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Finding what's real. So this doesn't sound fun, and no one read this passage to me when I was thinking about following Christ, right? I didn't know that was there. You find it after the fact, <laughs> right? It's like, oh, this is what I signed up for. Yeah, you, you did. You did. Yeah, no, it's, it's crazy. In a normal case, hey, let me just get out of this. But uh, imagine, let's go back to Paul. Paul has a lot of risk taking. This is his second missionary journey in Acts 17 that he's on. We kind of start in the middle of it. He's gone through uh, uh, Macedonia. He wants to go north. The spirit won't let him. He tries to go south, won't let him. So now he's pushed to the west. He has a vision, and the vision, this man says, hey, come and help us. And so he goes. And he travels quite a bit, some by boat and some by land. He comes through uh, Philippi. Now, in the vision was a man, but when he gets to Philippi, he finds women. But he does what he's supposed to do. 
There's no synagogue. They meet by the river, and he teaches. And a church is established. But soon after that, the good turns bad because he gets arrested for driving out a spirit from this girl who can tell the future, and she's annoying. And after a lot of time, he's tired of it, and he drives the spirit out. But she's a slave girl, and she has owners, and the owners were making money off this gift that she has, or this curse, we should say. And so he's arrested and thrown in jail. He's actually beaten. He's a Roman citizen. He shouldn't be beaten. And some of you know the rest of that story. But he has started on this journey that requires risk. And he travels. They skip two towns, Amphipolis and Apollonia, probably because there's no synagogue. But it's at least a three-day horse ride. So think about Paul and Silas. They've been beaten. They probably have open wounds, and they're on horseback traveling after they have been released eventually. They're traveling to the next town. And what do they do? It starts off after they've gone through those towns. It says where there was in Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue for the Jews. So they start all over again. They go to this place. So there's a couple things to look at. Paul is proclaiming. They're proclaiming who? They're proclaiming Jesus. The core of his message is Christ. It's Jesus. And he's convincing them that this Jesus is the one who has to suffer and he has to rise from the dead. The core of his message, and this, I think, is an example to me, an example for all of us, that the core of our message when we talk with people is Christ. Second thing that I, I love about Paul's example, he, he's giving kind of a, a blueprint, I see, or a, at least a game plan, or he has a game plan, and I think it's something we can learn from. Who does he go to? He goes to the synagogue. Why? Because a synagogue is a meeting place for Jews, and Jews have a leaning toward God already. So he's not starting with people who are just like, no, I hate God, I'm an atheist, you know, whatever. They're not that way at all. They're actually leaning in toward God. And so he finds that place to start, and he leans in toward them. Isn't that brilliant? And and I don't know, to me, maybe it's obvious to you, but I find that something that that teaches me. So, okay, I don't need to bang my head against the wall of people that are not seeking. And so there's Jews there. There's also non-Jews. There's Greeks there who who are listening. They're God-fearers, right? So they're leaning in toward God. It's okay. Well, let me teach you more excellently. Let me talk to you about this Christ. And this Jesus is that Christ, and he teaches them from the scriptures. Huge thing. And what's the result? Some, some of the Jews respond, but a great many of prominent Greek women and men respond. We'll get back to that later because that's something that we don't have uh, much control over, but we'll talk about that. But we have Paul proclaiming. He's proclaiming Christ, and where he proclaims, he starts with people, what Christ calls persons of peace in Matthew 10 also, people that already have a leaning. In our culture here, we might say there are people that are spiritual. I meant to set a timer for myself because you know how preachers are. Except for Travis. I know Travis isn't this way. You're welcome, brother. (laughs) Oh, you you don't need him. You just forget. Well, I'm trying to be good to to my folks. When you're a guest, you try to to do that. I'm forgetting where I was at and talking to you. He's proclaiming Christ. He has these people, and 
who, how they respond is not up to him. It's not up to Paul, but it's, it is what happens. How people can respond, but how they respond is not up to us. And that is something that Paul is not concerned with. His concern is to teach Christ. The next thing is there's, there's persecution. And this is the part that I don't like. The first little glimmer of persecution when I first came to Nanaimo that I remember, um, it was our first year, and it was Halloween, and we were getting to know the neighbors. And uh, we said, okay, our kids are running around. They want to dress up and get candy, you know, get some sweets and get all chucked up so they can stay up all night. And uh, we had some neighbors across the street that had some children about the same age. Like, okay, great. This is a great opportunity just to get to know folks. And I went up to this lady, and my wife was in university at that time still, and uh, asked, well, what do you do? Oh, I'm a student, and I'm going to the university. Oh, for what for? For art? Oh, wonderful, nice. And they talk about that a little bit. What do you do? Oh, I'm a preacher at the local Church of Christ. Oh. Cut off the conversation. I don't know how many of you have experienced that, but Christ, God, the church, not very popular here. Have you experienced that at all? Yes? No? Maybe? Yeah? And I, I believe that's growing. I think that's a sentiment that's growing. It's not going to get any better. Okay? So when we talk about risk, we have to lean into this, and we have to know that there is going to be some level of persecution. Now, this persecution here, it got extreme. They, there was a mob. He, the Jews stirred up the people. Now, it was fostered out of jealousy, but they got a mob, some riffraff from town, and they started uh, issuing some lies. So the first thing, there's intimidation. You have a large group of people. Can you imagine? Have you ever had, I've never had this, a large group of people rush your house looking for you? Or maybe you're a guest in someone's house, and the people from that town, or at least that neighborhood, they're rushing to find you, to get you, to take you to the courts. Never had that experience, but this is what's happening. That's intimidating. And we see that in our culture today. We see that with lawsuits of Christian organizations. We see that on social media. You speak a little bit about Christ or God or Jesus or say you're a believer. I mean, if people that are fellow believers, they, they may support you. Hopefully they do. But there's others, they will smack you down quicker than anything. Or, or worse, send you a scathing email. But we don't like that. We, don't, we want people to like us, right? But newsflash, people, Jesus said, people hated me first. They're also going to hate you. And the apostle Peter said, well, we don't want to be hated for wrongdoing. So it's actually good. If we're hated or, or mistreated or not liked because of Christ, that's good. But we want to be, be that way or people hating us because of sin. So we want to be holy, we want to be righteous, but know that we're going to have people that are not going to appreciate us because we stand for Christ, because we live for Christ. I remember the first time I saw, and I didn't understand what I was looking at, but I look back at my younger, younger days, still young, younger days, and this young lady named Mary had come into our Christian fellowship, and she, she was from another uh, religious group, we'll say. But she began to hear the word. She began to fall in love with Christ. And she began to see that our group was doing the best that, that we could to live as Christ. 
Now, she was young, because, and she was still at home. And she was telling her parents one day that she is going to give her life to Christ. She's going to fully commit to him and walk before him, walk with him. And her parents said to her, if you do that, you are no longer our daughter. Now, I flash forward as a father, and, you know, years later, I'm married on this side of marriage and family. I'm like, how could a parent do that? I could not do that. That would be horrible. But they felt staunchly ready. And you know, they weren't just ready. They did it. I know just a little bit. Mary, um, there was another uh, family that had an extra room in their home. And thank God they did. And they, they invited her in. And so she had some place to stay for a while anyway. But I never, I don't know what happened to Mary. I don't know if she was, she continued to be faithful. Um, I don't know, don't know if she turned back. I don't know how, if she reconciled with her parents. But this is real. And there's worse, of course, happening in the world. But in our context in the West, I believe these things are going to get worse. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to be a downer on our great time in lifting up the Lord's name, but we need to understand this, that we're not here for a party. <laughs> we're not here to be liked because we're not going to be. There are going to be people that will, and we'll talk about that here next. This persecution, so there was intimidation. There was also lies. The lie was that they were trying to, they were saying that there was a king, Jesus, and they were, they were being accused of sedition, going against Caesar. And Caesar was as good as God. So anyone that speaks against Caesar or says there's another king, you're in trouble. You're, you're against the state. You're an enemy of the state. And the magistrates, the, the leaders of Thessalonica, they didn't like it. They're a favorite city. They're very wealthy. Things are going on. They're going well there. They're a city that's not like the other uh, Roman cities. They are able to still be Greek, but be a part of the Greek or the Roman Empire. So they have a special place, and they don't want to lose it with a riot, with um, a king, with an uprising in their city. But it's a lie. So that's another thing to remember. Things people will say about you may not be true. And you're going to have to deal with that. I'm going to have to deal with that. We have to be ready for this. And I'm sorry if I'm bursting anyone's bubble, thinking, hey, no, Christian life, life, peace, chicken grease. supposed to be just good in the Christian life. I'm supposed to be rich and, and things get better. I get healthier. But no, there's going to be sickness. There's going to be broken relationships. There's going to be things like and some of you are dealing with that right now. I remember last year there were some things going on when we visited. There's, there's stuff happening all the time. But it's Christ who remains the same. And that's what we need to remember. So persecution. The last thing is a little bit further in the passage, but it's perseverance. Uh, continuing on in the passage, there's verse 10. Now, they let Jason go. Jason, by the way, was mentioned four times. So we want, don't want to forget about Jason. We'll talk about him in just a second. Jason was taken because they couldn't find Paul. And some of the other brothers and sisters were too. And they made them pay some money so that, basically a promise. Promise us that there'll be no more uh, uh, rioting. You know, it sounds like the states, right? There'll be no more rioting and we'll let, you, we'll let you go. Now, if there was another problem, they would keep their money or take their property. That was the, the consequence of that. 
But they let them go. And in verse 10, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away at, by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Again? <laughs> you go to the next town and you do this again? Paul, Silas, you guys are glutton for punishment. What I want to highlight here is that Paul and Silas, they have a view for the kingdom of God. They, I mean, that has to be it. They don't want to be beaten. I don't know if their scars from Philippi have, have healed yet. But they had been here at least three weeks in Thessalonica. Some scholars think it's longer. But they've been there for some time. It's probably longer because the church in Philippi, we find out later, had sent Paul some support while he was there. So it's like three weeks? How did they know he needed some, some money to continue and work? And yeah, he started to work on his own as a tent maker. So he probably was there for a while, long enough for Jason and the others to get to know him. But he leaves. He's, he needs to get out. But he goes immediately to the synagogue to go again. And again, that's his strategy. Go to people that are already leaning toward. Now what happens? These, now these Jews were, of more no, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scripture daily to see if these things were so. It reminds me of the parable of the sower in Matthew or uh, Mark 4. Remember that parable? Some was, it was sown which is the word of God sown on the rock, some in the, uh, or sorry, on the path, some on the rock, some among the weeds, and some on the good soil. And they all had different results, right? And I think that's the way it is. We have to remember that about people. People have different results, and we are not in charge of those results. So we find here in Berea, these Jews were noble, meaning they were eager to hear what Paul had to say. They didn't take him at his word, but they searched the scriptures to see if what he was saying about Jesus needing to suffer were true. And when they found it was, they ate it up. They said, yes, this is what we want. So look at the result. Many of them, therefore, believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But, but, the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul in Berea also. They came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. So when it comes to persistence, the believers in Berea, these Jews and the Greeks, they were persistent. They studied. They looked to see if they were true. But also the adversaries, the troublemakers, they were also persistent. We have to understand that. I think that's something we cannot discount, that people... There is not just this culture of, I don't like Jesus. There is, I hate you who love Jesus. And they're going to pursue you and I. Now, I'm not saying that so we can be up in arms and fight against them. But you need to know that we're going to be pursued by some. But I love the persistence of Paul. Their brothers immediately sent Paul away <laughs> off, off by the sea. Um, but Paul and Silas and Timothy, I'm sorry, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a commandment for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Verse 16, just a little bit more. Now while Paul was waiting for them, so now he's in Athens by himself. What does he do? While in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was full of idols. So... He reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews, and on it goes. 
Do you get his, his fervor, his, his persistence? He's not quitting, even though he's been beaten, even though it's, he's been embarrassed. By the way, when he was beaten, he was beaten, he and Silas were beaten while naked. Because it says in chapter 16 that they stripped him, them. So it wasn't just a beating to, to punish, to be punished for what they did. It was also shaming. Have you seen that in our culture? Let's not just persecute you, say things against you. I want to shame you. So we have to know that this is, you know, uh, Ephesians 6. Our fight is not against flesh and blood, right? It's against the principalities of this dark world. There are things behind the people. It's not against people. There are powers behind people. And, and so it will be persistent. Therefore, we must be persistent like Paul. So I don't see, I used to think missionaries were those who went to far off countries, go to Africa, go to Asia, go to South America, and they leave. I see us all as missionaries because we are all in a context where we have to leave kind of the safety of our own, who we are, our own home, if you will, and enter into a workplace, into a school, into a a club, into a, a group of people who don't think the way you do. So this persistence is really needed by all of us because Christ calls us all to make disciples. And this persistence, this insistence to do this is so important and so real. I want to go back to one thing. The Bereans, they're... uh, That was good news. A lot of them responded. It was a good thing before the mob started. But here's something that I've learned in hitting my head against the wall. And again, forgive me, this may be really elementary to you, but it's something that took me a while to to get. The fact that when you deal with people, you know, as a disciple maker, when you're dealing with people or groups, there is three parts to that process. There is God's part, your part, their part. You understand that? God's part, their part, or your part, their part. God's part is to, by his spirit, to help them to to open up and understand. His part is to reveal. His his, uh, role is to convict, right? And these are things, among others, that I can't do. There are things that they, the other person or people, they can't do. There are some things only I can do. I can open my mouth. I can serve. There's things that I am to do that only I am to do. And then them, they, there's only things they can do. They have to accept. They have to hear. They have to understand, right? But where I used to get in trouble is where I would, I call, getting into someone else's yard. You ever have someone climb over the fence into your yard? You don't like it, right? I don't. I remember when we used to live in the Nymo, there's this guy who every morning would walk his dog and his dog would come and sniff our grass and want to do his business in our grass. And the guy would let him. And I was just mad. Why are you doing that? He would turn our grass all brown. It would kill the grass. But he kept doing that. Stay in your yard. As Christians, we need to stay in our yard. We need to let God do his part. I can't do God's work. I used to try to do God's work. I mean, do what God's role, his, his work for him. Try to convict them, maybe even guilt them, right? To make them convinced. And then I try to do other people's part. You understand and, and try to do things that only they can do. And what happened was 
I took on a lot of the stressors, stressors that God was supposed to be taking or the, other, or the person was supposed to be taking. I need to stay in my yard. And I think that's what happens, that's what the difference is between some of the people in Thessalonica and some of those in Berea. It was different. But Paul had no um, say over how people would respond. Now for me, this may be elementary, but it's freeing. I serve, I speak, I do my best, and I leave the rest between them and God. They have to make the connection. And I think this is why Paul, he's, and I'm not saying that he's not fearful, that he's not nervous. He talks about that when he's meeting even Christians that he knows. He came to them, uh, was a Corinth, with fear and trembling. So those emotions are there, but he had the vision of God and his kingdom in his mind so much so that he was able to push out those things that said, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to take risk. For God's kingdom, in the name of Christ, I will take risk. I will risk for him because he has risked so much for me. Have you thought about lately, you know, one of the songs I can't sing hardly in a fellowship is In Christ Alone. Even thinking about it right now, it gets me in my heart because it it goes through the story of what Christ has done for me, what he has risked for me. And so it's good for me to remember it, even though it makes me cry, and sometimes I can't sing it, at least not all the way through, because it's like, I need to risk like that. Amen? I believe God has a vision for you. I believe God has plans for you as a, as a congregation, as a church. What all of that entails, I don't know. Only God knows. Maybe you have a better sense of that. But here's my challenge to you. My challenge to you. Oh, I'm not done. I have like 20 more minutes. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> my challenge to you is this. I don't know, you know, the intimate, deep, dark secrets of your heart. But God does. My challenge to you is to to sit with God at some point today. Don't go past today because by tomorrow you forget a lot, a whole bunch of what's happening right now in this moment. But challenge yourself to sit with God, you and him, and think about the things that maybe he is wanting you to be persistent at right now. Maybe something in a relationship right now. Maybe there's a decision you need to make. Maybe there's something happening with someone at work. Maybe someone has asked you a really hard question. You're not sure how to answer it. Maybe there's something going on with you and there's people watching you go through it and you're like, ah, I don't want to hold on to my my Christian character. I just want to let it go, let it fly. But you have a decision to make. Am I going to persist in walking with Christ even though it's difficult? There's so many things. It's not just about going out and, and being a mission person missionary but that's what we are and we do that in various ways because people are watching us they watch you to see how you're doing how did you get through that how did you speak that way when that person spoke so unkindly to you when they wrote you that scathing email or that facebook post on that string how did you maintain which i think is a bad way to communicate god's word but that's just my my opinion but when that happens how do you maintain and people are going to watch. When you reconcile differences and they go, how did you get through that? They didn't, they didn't want to reconcile with you. How do you hold on and, and still walk with God and love them? People are watching. 
And so sometimes it is through what we say, and a lot of it is also through what we do. And that we, the fact that we live so differently, not just our living lifestyle, but how we deal with each other is a different. And I, I pray that something here has touched you. I'm being challenged. I'm, like I said, God has a sense of humor. Um, I'm back in university again. I'm, I was a terrible student. Um, just, I tried to escape all the time. Uh, but now I have to write. I have to, to do stuff. Um, I have a year and a half left, God willing. Hopefully it's only that, maybe, maybe two years. But I, Lord willing, I hope to be here with my wife and a team of people that want to uh, instigate new church or I should say new uh, believing groups. I don't know how, I know, we don't even know exactly what that's going to look like, uh, but we do have some ideas, but we're following God's leading, and we do have some people that are here on the island already that are interested. We have people in Harding and, uh, that are interested already. A girl from Norway is like, you know, I've never been to Canada. And it's like, are you guys going to go back? And she, uh, like, yeah. It's like, you know what? I, I may want to do that. We've talked to her about what we're going to do, and she's like, I, I think I might want to do that. So in two years, we may have a little... Norwegian girl with Coke bottle glasses who's gonna, who may be part of our team. Yeah. So we don't, we don't know exactly, but it's, it's coming together and it's forming. But you also have something that's forming too. So you can join us and talk to us about what we're doing, but more than anything today, please think about what it is that God is wanting you to persist at and to pursue and to not quit. Amen. Can I pray for you? Father God, thank you for this time we're able to, to fellowship together. We're able to be in your presence and to be together and to just look over the story and look at Paul and Silas and, and Timothy and the brothers and sisters um, who have become uh, kind of just models for us and people to be encouraged by. But we can see in, in Thessalonians that they needed encouragement. And next week and on, uh, this group here, Father, is going to begin to see why they needed encouragement and transfer the, the, that encouragement into their own lives. I pray that you be on them, and that you, you bless them, and that your grace be on them, that you empower them with everything they need, with uh, boundless love and self-control and the power that can only come from your spirit. To, to deal with and to walk through all the things that you um, have for them uh, as individuals, but more importantly, as a collective group. Um, help them to, to not just grow in numbers, but to grow in depth, to grow in their spirits and their hearts and their minds and all, with all their strength for you because of everything that you have and are doing. And we know that everything you've set out to do, you will complete it. Because you are a God who is persistent. You are a God who doesn't quit. You are a God who does not turn back. And your plans will be fulfilled. May it be fulfilled in us today, Father, and for the rest of time. We look forward to the great day where we will all look up and see your son coming in the clouds. And we will all rise up to meet him. That will be a great day. But until then, we are going to work for the further growing and spread of your kingdom, which is already at work and on this earth. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. One last thing for you that I did forget that somehow I remembered while praying. Weird. Um, Jason. Jason, um, he was mentioned four times in that, being a part of that, you know, he, the mob is his house. He was hosting. Uh, it's interesting to me how um, 
Paul in Thessalonians, I think in chapter 2, in 1 Thessalonians, he talks about how they suffered also. It's like, you guys are suffering just like your Jewish brothers and sisters, you know, back in Palestine, they have suffered just like you, and you're doing that. And so they're they're becoming kind of rock stars, and and Jason is a part of that. And I bring him up to, to say, because he's mentioned, well, someone, I should say this, someone named Jason in Romans 16 is mentioned in Paul's little list of people. And many believe that it's the same Jason from Thessalonica. And I bring him up because sometimes uh, we need to see something. And sometimes God blesses you enough to be able to see that it's worth it. When you see a Jason who was persecuted so early, a new Christian being mobbed that way, but he continues on, that's amazing. And then he's named at a later time in a letter, just, just in passing, but he's one of Paul's fellow workers. Sometimes you'll have that experience too. It's not often, but I bring him up just to reiterate that it's so worth it. It's about God. It's not about us, but it's about those who who are walking toward God too. Anyway, God bless you.